Hey, what's going on, Internet? This is Andrew with Ancient Ways for Modern Days. want to take a moment to say thank you for listening and participating in all the great content that we put out. Now, it being August, Mike and myself, we are on vacation, we are doing some traveling, but we wanted to make sure that you still had great content to point you to the Lord. So, what we have done is that we looked through our library of podcasts, and we're bringing to you one of our favorite series that we did a couple years ago. What you're going to be listening to now is going to be a recording we did a couple years ago about the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. When we did it, we thought it was incredibly edifying, and we hope that you find value in it today. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome back to Ancient Ways for Modern Days, a ministry of Valley Christian Fellowship. I am Stephen Klukas, once again filling in for Andrew Wynn, and with me today I have Pastor Mike Freeman. How are you today, Mike? Good morning. I am, uh, I'm awake. That's, uh, that's about the, the most I can say right now. Really? Yeah. Well, what about that coffee addiction? Isn't that uh, working in that, your favor? That's helping. No, I'm actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing great, man. I, I had a super early morning, woke up about 2.30. Kind of one of those days you just wake up, you don't fall back asleep. And oh, so yeah. started the day early. It's been very productive, but now it's almost noon and uh, I'm getting a little sleepy, man. I was going to say, I, I mean, probably need another cup of coffee. I mean, if people wake up around, I mean, my son usually wakes up around six o'clock and then his bedtime is about eight o'clock. So really, you've only got another two hours left in your day. Especially if I'm a toddler. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so tell me a little bit about what's been going on with you this last couple of weeks. Yeah, last few weeks. Well, last week we had no podcast drop. Yeah. In fact, today's podcast is podcast take two because we recorded part of it last week and then we had a an interruption. I'll let you expand on that as much as you want in a moment. Oh, yeah. Um, and so we just put it on the back burner last week. But uh, but I'm great. We finished up our T-ball season. Um, Asher's T-ball season is over, so that's a little bit off of my plate. We still have uh, uh, three or four weeks of baseball and softball left with my older two. <clears throat> and really, the, the the fun thing is this past weekend, we had a Sunday night baptism and communion service. That's and incredible. I, I, uh, I had the joy of baptizing my son, Asher, and that was just, uh, it was a kick. It was so fun. It was it was a lot of fun leading up to it and preparing him and talking to him about it. And then that the night of baptism and him being in the pool and other people as well. But, you know, as a dad, you know, and your youngest, you baptize him. And he just was really fun that night. He was a, a really a joy to to uh, just um, go through that ex- entire experience with. Absolutely. And he was really in like true Asher form. I yeah. mean, all of his quirks were right there for everybody to adore. Some giggles coming out, some uh, nervous laughter, yep. some good answers. And um, and so that was, uh, man, Sunday night was a joy, man. It really was. In, in fact, Sunday night, you you uh, baptized someone for the first time. That was a faith milestone for me, sir. Yes, most definitely. What was that like? Uh, it's, it's, I can't describe it. It is like forging this, this connection with a person that you've had the joy of discipling and helping them further their faith and their discipleship process and show obedience to Christ. It's just something else, man. Really exciting. You got to baptize three teenagers. And then just before we sat down, we had a polo from Andrew that there's another teenager already excited for baptism. Already leaning in. You know, it's pretty cool how um, I, I think that testimony format where we we make a big deal about baptism. 
and we want it to happen sooner than later with folks that profess in Christ. And, uh, but just it impacts people. I mean, there are teary eyes during the story yep. time when people are ter- telling the, their story of how they came to Christ and, you know, they're proud parents and there's rejoicing grandparents. One of the guys I baptized, his grandfather was there and um, he was telling me that they, they found a picture of his grandfather's baptism and they were showing it to him right oh, before man. that service. It's just, there, there's so much, there, there's so much to rejoice in. Absolutely. There's a, a heritage that we're building. There's a kind of a legacy of, hey, this is a moment where we are confessing Christ and our life now is marked by Christ externally in a way that matches the the truth of the new life we have in him internally. And so, absolutely, I mean, we, we could just talk about this all day, I think, and, and it's a lot of fun. I'd so, be okay with that, but we do have a agenda that we kind of want to move yeah. forward. So that's kind of my life. What, what about Man. what about your life? How are you guys doing? Dude, it has been a wild couple of weeks in the Klukas house. Um, for those that don't know, my wife is pregnant with our second, and this pregnancy just has hit her so hard. I mean, Lachlan was tough enough. This one has hit even harder. So it's it's been a challenge just to keep the house running smoothly and also make sure that I'm being faithful to my work you know with the church with this family but honestly the people of God have just been so gracious you guys have been so kind to my family I mean I've been having meals delivered to make sure that Lachlan and I are cared for. Jessica's been able to eat some of it as well. It has just been a blessing to to understand that the church is there to care for all of its members, right? It's pretty fun Sunday night showing up for the baptism service early. You showed up with Lachlan, and then there was a, a couple that showed up early. And the wife there, she just kind of said, I'm going to take Lachlan and care for him while you prepped for the service. And it's just really cool to see that, like, we're, we're in this together. Exactly. You know? We're in this together, and that's really fun. And, and um, yeah. But, yeah, that uh, that struggle is actually why this is take two of this particular podcast. Do you want to share? Or, I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and share. I, I have very little to be ashamed of, I imagine. But uh, we were here. We had been discussing resolutions, and things were going well. Lachlan was home with Jessica. And then I get a phone call, and she is just exhausted. She can hardly move. She can't get out of bed. And Lachlan has a poopy diaper. And, Dad, we need your help. So we ended the podcast, and you ran to the rescue. That's right. Yep. That's right. You know, this is the way, man. Deal with those poopy diapers. Yep. So uh, that said, we should, we should uh, jump back in. I won't say where we left off because our listeners don't know where we left they off. They have no I idea. remember where we left off, but uh, we should jump back in from the very top. Absolutely. So today what we're doing is we're talking about um, I, the final two resolutions in this kind of mini series, this mini podcast series on resolutions. And these are the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards, who was, um, you know, in the 1700s, he was a, a preacher, a revivalist. He is famous for the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I actually read about that a little bit this morning, and it's interesting, you know, you, you, I don't know what image you have in your mind when someone's preaching that. He actually read that sermon. Um, the story goes, he had that sermon, like oh, the paper almost to his nose reading it. It wasn't wow. this, this incredibly animated sermon with gestures and pointed fingers. It was a very descriptive sermon, and it was so descriptive that he... Um, not usually my advice for preachers, he straight read a manuscript when he preached that. And so kind of, I digress a little bit, but, but he was a brilliant guy. And, um, 
And these are resolutions he wrote more as a younger man saying, this is the kind of life I want to live. And so we've covered a lot of resolutions. We've covered resolutions on prayer, on holiness, on, you know, we talked about um, vivification of righteousness, as well as mortification of, of our sinful or fleshly nature. And all of it comes to a conclusion today, and we're going to land on this final theme, which is his resolutions concerning, the term is communion with God. Now, when we talk about communion with God, are we talking about the elements of communion? Not in this particular case. No, what are we talking about? We're talking about having a connection, a a dwelling with God. Yeah. So he made resolutions saying, I want to... I want to have some statements in my mind that serve as a compass that keep me driving forward in my relationship with God, helping me to know God more, helping me to trust God more, helping me to love God more. That's what these resolutions, and there's only two of them. That's what these, they reflect, right? Right. And so, I mean, I think that for our listeners, I, from the outset, I would say, these are the kind of resolutions that you want to make. You know, I mean... Every believer should want to grow in their relationship with God. Right. Every believer should want to constantly be fostering a, um, a, a more intimate vertical relationship with, with your heavenly father through Christ and the indwelling spirit. Right. And so let's, uh, let's jump in. Let's read these and then, uh, let's, let's, we'll discuss. Yeah. Let's, All let's right. um, tear into them a little bit. I'm going to jump in on resolution 53. It reads resolved to improve every opportunity. Why? When I am in the best and happiest frame of mind to cast and venture my soul on the Lord Jesus Christ to trust and confide in him and consecrate myself wholly to him that from this, I may have assurance of my safety, knowing that I confide in my redeemer. Yeah. This is one of the wordier ones. It's not, a bit wordy, sure. Not, not the wordiest, but one of the wordier ones. Um, in, in this one, he says, uh, I am making a re- resolution, and I'm doing this for a purpose. And so it's interesting. This is one of the resolutions that he says, this is what I'm doing, and this is what I'm expecting. And so like that first half, wh- what is this resolution? In, in modern language, what would you say is resolution? You're saying, is? He's saying venture my soul on the Lord Jesus Christ, but really that's that's— Keeping that communication, that connection open and alive. That's not getting comfortable, but actually putting yourself on Jesus actively. Yeah. I think he defines that by saying to trust and confide in him. There you go. Exactly. And to consecrate consecrate myself wholly to him. And so he's saying, um, really in layman's terms, I am going to, I'm resolving to run to Jesus. I'm resolving to strive to press on, to push forward in every way possible so that I will know him, so that I will trust him, that word confide, that I'll go to him with all of my secrets and my thoughts and my worries and concerns. And see, this this speaks to me of a a communication relationship, not like, oh, hey, we're sitting around the dinner table and everybody's just looking down at their plates. This is the the image of conversation, of of talking to Christ and then reading the word to hear from him. Yeah. And this is, you know, this smacks against the, maybe the caricature of God, right? That God is distant, that God is not interested in you. Um, God's not this, this, you know, this punitive force that just can't wait to whoop up on his kids. Like he's, he, if you're in Christ, you've been adopted, you've been made new you actually enter with confidence and boldness into the throne room of grace and mercy you can go directly to him and this is 
what he's resolving to do. He's saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to delay. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm not going to, um, ignore this relationship, but I'm going to, I'm going to run. I'm going to run to God in Christ. So then we have that second half, uh, what you, you said it was kind of like the expectation. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm reading here that from this I may have assurance of my safety, knowing that I confide in my Redeemer. Can you break that out for us a little? Yeah. He's saying the, the closer I grow to God, the more I run to him, the more assurance, the more, um, I guess, uh, security I will have that I'm in him and that I'm, I'm safe in him. Now, we have to remember this doesn't mean I'm safe so, so safe that I'm never going to stub my toe. This doesn't mean I'm so safe that I'm, I'm never going to have something bad happen. This doesn't mean that you're never going to have a cancer or persecution or a financial trouble or a relationship toil, right? Like th- this isn't saying I'm going to be safe. And so everything's peachy keen. Everything's hunky dory. Everything's totally fine. This is a different kind of safety. This is a safety of your soul is secured in him. And so regardless of what you experience on earth, you know that you're safe eternally. You know that your relationship with him, it's, it's secure. That's, that's a whole different kind of safety, right? Absolutely. See, that's the kind of safety that we see in the book of James where he says to rejoice in times of trials when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that it's not just about what you're going through in the here and the now. You know that your faith is being refined into something even more spectacular, but Ultimately, you are secure in your eternal salvation. Yeah. And uh, last week we made these, connected these dots. Actually, we didn't even plan on it, but we did. And so I'll, I'll do it a little bit again today. Do but, it. But we think about safety and, and um, his safety was not in an earthly promise. His safety was not, I'm going to live to a grand old age and, and see all of my grandkids grow up. And I'll tell you what, I, I hope to live to an old age and I hope you know, my kids have lots of kids and that I got lots of grandkids and, you know, that, that's, that would be a great thing to have happen. But, but he actually, he was willing to risk physical life. He was willing to risk physical safety, um, his time for, um, for medical advance even, right. Uh, he died through taking the vaccine, I think for polio. You said polio last week. Yeah. Um, and I should have just went back and researched it again, but just off the top of my head, I think that's what it was, but it was, he, he took a vaccine and, and he did not survive it. And we think about that and we're in a world right now where vaccine is a, it's a hot button topic, right? Right. There's uh, vaccines and there's those who demand it and those who want it and those who don't want it and those who are anti-vaxxers and there's all sorts of controversy and it's super political now, right? Right. And, and all of this, but, but if I were to peel back the, the layers just a little bit and say, what is, what is all of the angst over vaccine really about? And I, I think that our angst, whether you're pro-vaccine or, or anti-vaccine, um, all of it's about safety, right? And we are, we are aiming at safety. And some of us say our safety is in a vaccine. Some say our safety is not having the vaccine, but either way, one of my concerns right now in our current cultural moment is that safety has become our God, right? He says here, I'm going to run to Jesus and I'm going to find assurance of my safety eternally. I I worry that many of us today, many believers, we're running to medicine or to vaccines or to whatever science and science is or scientific opinions. Yeah. Scientific opinions is is a good word. Uh, We're running to that. And that has become our safety net instead of Jesus. Instead of saying, I'm going to boldly move forward, living for Christ, doing 
on my conscience based on the word of God, what is what's right. Um, and, and I'm going to please him and I'm going to find safety in him. I, I think a lot of us are, we're toying with, or we're, we're flirting with, or maybe we've run out all the way into some idolatry when it comes to safety, you know, um, that's one of the greater lessons of 2020, right? Absolutely is. How many of us, uh, and I'm just going to say us, how many of us are living in fear? How many of us are living in fear that our earthly life is going to end? How many of us are living in fear of a virus? And, uh, and I get it. I, I know people that actually died from COVID. I, right. I understand this. I'm not belittling it at all. It's not the virus that I'm belittling. It's, it's the, the response that we have of fear instead of a response that says, I'm going to do whatever's right, whatever's good, but I'm not going to make my safety, my be all end all. I'm not going to make that my number one priority. That's right. And so I think that this resolution here from Edwards, I think the outcome is something I want to see in my life. I want to see it in my life as I run to Christ, as I trust Christ, as I confide in Christ, as I consecrate myself wholly to Christ. I want to see my my reactions to things in this world that would threaten my safety or threaten my rights. I want to see my reaction to be more based on my connection relationally to, to Christ rather than fear or trepidation or or whatever kind of context and, and situation I might find myself in. And, you know, I think that's exactly what Edwards is trying to say here as well, is he's saying that that's something he desires to see in his life, hence the fact that it's a resolution. It's something that he knew he needed to work on. It's not something that just happens. Yeah. And that comes out of, again, communion with God, relationship right. with God. And so that's resolution 53. Let's jump into the 65. This is the last one we're going to handle for this whole series that we've done. You want to read it? I'm going for it. All right. It's a little bit wordy, everybody, so hang on with me. Resolved very much to exercise myself in this all my life long, that is to say, with the greatest openness of which I'm capable, to declare my ways to God and lay open my soul to him, all my sins, temptations, difficulties, sorrows, fears, hopes, desires, and everything, and every circumstance, according to Dr. Manton's sermon on the 119th Psalm. Yeah. Now, there's so, a name I haven't heard yet. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to him in a minute. Let's just kind of start with kind of big picture of what he's saying. I think what he's saying here, he's saying, uh, uh, my resolution is as much as possible, I'm going to declare my ways to God. I'm going to lay myself open to him. I'm going to, I'm going to include everything about my life before God. I'm just going to, I'm going to be bare. I'm going to be raw. I'm going to be no off topic or no off limits subjects. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to really cast myself upon God completely. And he says he's going to do this according to, he says, Dr. Manton's sermon on the 119th Psalm. Now he's referring to Thomas Manton, who was a Puritan who died, I think, uh, about 46, 45, 46 years before Edwards was even born. Right. And so this isn't someone that Edwards knew personally. It wasn't like a, a buddy. Um, and so this was someone that Edwards, you know, he pulled up YouTube and he listened to, to Manton preaching, right? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. That's not what happened. <laughs> um, <clears throat> what Edwards did is he read um, Thomas Manton's sermon and it says sermon on the 119th Yeah, but Psalm. you've told me a little bit about this. We were talking about this guy last week. Yeah. Uh, Manton was prolific. Uh, he wrote 190 sermons on 
Psalm 119. And how many verses are there in Psalm 119? Oh, you got to have to remember. I think there's, what is it? 176? Something like that. So 176. He, so he wrote more sermons on this one psalm than there are verses in the psalm itself. Correct. Correct. That's just astonishing to me. Yep. And, and uh, I did measure out, you know, the... The one sermon that, that Edwards is talking about here, it's his 27th sermon. And uh, and it is, if you read it, it takes about 47 minutes. And so you, you just do a little bit of math. 47 times um, 190 sermons, that's 155 hours that it would take you to read the, the sermons of Thomas Manton from one psalm, Psalm 119. Granted, Psalm 119, it's the longest psalm. It's the longest chapter yeah, absolutely. in all of Scripture. But but that said, um, this guy wrote a ton about one psalm. And this is a psalm that we're fairly familiar with at Valley. Yes, we are. Why are we familiar with it? This is part of our call to worship. And so every single week when we start our weekend worship services, we read a segment from Psalm 119, just going through their alphabetical structure. Yeah. So expand on that. So Psalm 119 is structured in—I forget the name of the, the poetic format, but each stanza is named for a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if, if we were to translate this to American terms, you would have stanza A, you know, and it would have so many verses or so, so many lines of poetry, and then letter B, letter C, and so on. So each week, we read one letter's worth of the psalm. That's right. And— what is the theme of this psalm? Dude, this entire psalm is built around the commandments and statutes of God and how they apply to life. Really, how David, who wrote the psalm, is looking at the commandments and the law of God as a source of strength, as a source of help, and something that he is adoring because it drives the purpose of his life. Yeah, I love Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a go-to for me. I may have mentioned this on the uh, previous podcast, but... If I'm ever in a dry season where I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of struggling to get into the word of God, my habit is to open up to Psalm 119 and read a stanza or two of it because it's all about the, the value and the worth of God's word. It's about the, the work of God's word in our life. And it's hard to, to read it and not, and not grow in your esteem for the word of God. And so when I read it and I grow in my esteem for the word of God, well, you know what? That leads me to desire to read the word, right? And, right. and to get into it. And so it's a great Psalm. And so this is, um, this is what Edwards is referring to. He's referring to one particular sermon out of 190 from Dr. Thomas Manton in his sermon on the 119th Psalm. So this uh, verse that he's referencing is actually verse 26. And so Psalm 119 verse 26, this is the the new King James version. It says, I have declared my ways and you answered me, teach me your statutes. And so in this, in this one verse, David, he he says there's three clauses here, right? First clause, I have declared my ways. Second clause, and you answered me. And third clause is teach me your statutes. And so what I want to do is I just want to work through these three clauses and I want to kind of connect them back, not necessarily to Manton's sermon, but to Edward's resolution, right? Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, I've, I've got my gears turning in my brain here, so I'm just going to be along for the ride. No spoilers. And so, uh, when he says, I've declared my ways to you for Edwards, Edwards says that he's going to lay open my soul before God. He says all of my sins, temptations, difficulties, sorrows, fears, hopes, desires, 
and everything in every circumstance, right? And so when we declare our ways to the Lord, here's what Edwards is saying. He's saying we're declaring everything about our life completely, all of it. We're declaring everything before God. Now, this is, this is a powerful thing because you think about, uh, you think about your sin, right? Stephen, actually, I want you to declare, declare all your sin to our podcast audience right now. No, I, please don't. I please don't. Please don't. Socks on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you're more wretched than that. I guarantee it, right? Oh, man. Um, so you think about this. This is, the, this is the approach to God when you know you're in grace. Um, in Manton's sermon, he, he gives the, the opposite example of Adam. What does Adam do after his sin? He hides he covers himself. He, he does not lay himself open before God. He, uh, he blames others. And say he points fingers. He does everything besides accepting responsibility and just coming to God completely transparent, right? And so th- this is incredible. This is Edward saying, I'm going to go before God and I am going to lay everything before him. And Manton, he expands on this quite a bit. Some of the, the reasons why Manton says that, that uh, David does this, some of the reasons why Edward does this, some of the reasons why you and I and our listener should do this, um, I just want to put them in front of us. First of all is uh, what Manton would say for pardon. Uh, if, if you say you have no sin, then you have no need for the gospel. Think about that for a second. Yeah, that's, you can dwell on that for a, a, a bit. That's something to chew on. Yeah. The, the gospel is meaningless if you're, if you're saying, I am self-righteous. The gospel is meaningless if you're saying, I, I don't have the consequence of sin. I don't have sin. But, but listen, if you are willing to honestly, before the Lord, say, here I am in my wretched state. Here I am with all of the wrong I've done. Here I am with all of the wrong I've said. Here I am with all of the wrong inside of my head and inside of my heart. When you go to God like that, that's when, that's when you're able to receive forgiveness because of Jesus and his death and resurrection. So Manta would say, you know why you declare all your ways before God is you, first of all, you do it for pardon. When you, when you find the, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, then you have, you have nothing to hide. And the second thing he says, and then you also do it for peace. And so this isn't, I, I need to be pardoned from God and his, uh, his punishment against sin. This is, I'm carrying around guilt and shame. Now, I, I, I don't know if you have anyone close to you that has a, an overactive guilty conscience. Um, I know a lot of Christians that do. I, I know Christians that are guilty for things they don't need to be guilty for. And, uh, and it's a tough spot to be when you have an overactive guilty conscience, but, but I, not just talking about an overactive guilty conscience. What if you have real guilt because of your real sin and it's plaguing you in your real thoughts? Well, it, go ahead. it tends to just eat away at you because you're dwelling on it. That's what's occupying your mind. I mean, even like I'll have flashbacks to, to times previously in my life, things that I've been forgiven for and I'll still kick myself, say, oh, Stephen, you were so stupid, right? But what you have to remember is I've been forgiven for those things. That is... That is in the past. That's right. You know? and, and when you remember that, you, you remember the pardon you've received. That's right. And, and, and so then you now have peace. You, you don't have to walk around with that guilt. 
you can have the peace of God knowing that you've laid all your ways before him, right? And so Manton, he says, you, you, you lay all your ways before God for pardon, for peace. And the third one is, is for protection. Because guess what? It's not just you and God in this world and other people. There's an enemy, the, Satan. Satan's called the accuser of the brethren, right? Like he, he, he wants to accuse you. And guess what? His, his accusations become powerless if you've already laid all of your dirt in front of God. <laughs> well, exactly. Especially if, if you're covered by the blood of Jesus, then your accusation—a person can't bring an accusation and demand penalty if the price has been paid. That's right. Now, if, the pers- if you have not laid yourself before God and you've not received the grace of Christ, those accusations are absolutely true. Mm-hmm. And that should be a sobering thought. Yep. This is not exactly the same, but this is kind of like one of my— conversations I have with my kids. We actually had this conversation again yesterday and uh, we were reading Proverbs together yeah. and there was a proverb that struck up this, this idea. And uh, it's, I, I told my kids, you know, if you mess up and you will mess up and you come to me and you say, dad, I messed up. I did something wrong. I, I did something sinful. Here's what I did in that moment. I'll say, dang, you, you, let's fix it. Like I, I, I'll help you fix it. Let's figure this out. But I said, if you, if you, the exact same thing, you mess up, but you hide it and you, you keep it uh, away from my attention and I find out a different way, we're going to have a very different conversation than let's fix it. It, There's a deeper issue here. There's an issue of trust. And and I think this parallels the way our heavenly father treats us could be because (laughs) I got a little tongue tied there, but, but when we go to God, the father, and we say, this is my mess. God says, not only have I forgiven you in Christ, but I'm making you new and I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to care for you and I'm going to sanctify you little by little. There's great joy there, right? Absolutely. And this protects us from the enemy coming and saying, look at what a loser Mike is. Right. Right. Because I've already gone to God and say, God, I need help because I mess up bad. And God says, okay, let's walk down this path together. So that's the first clause. First clause. It says, I declared all of my life before God. And the second one is, well... You answered. You answered me. Um, and so Manton, in his sermon, he asked the question, how does God answer us? And he, he, he lists out some of the ways. Sometimes God a- answers us in an inward way by his spirit. And so this is the, the experiential moment of prayer when you find comfort, even in difficulty. You know that there's not a great uh, way to tangibly measure this. Right. But, but when you, when you read the word, when you know God's truth, when you go to God in prayer, when you've laid everything before him and then his spirit testifies within you and your spirit, just like it says in Romans eight, there is an, there, there is an experiential moment as, as God answers you in your prayer. That's a really incredible thing, right? Absolutely. And sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes it does. There's not a guarantee that says this is exactly how it's going to happen every time, right? Right. But but sometimes God answers with this inward kind of confirmation by the Spirit. Other times God, his answer is an outward um, answer through providence. God, uh, I'm praying for something to happen. And it happens, right? What was I just saying about the church family uh, taking care of me as, as I'm trying to take care of my family? Like, absolutely. That's right. Uh, you pray for your needs. You pray for your concerns. And sometimes, miraculously, God meets these. Now, 
This doesn't mean you should expect every day for every everything you pray for to be miraculously healed. Well, this this isn't a ticket for laziness. This is not a, a excuse to be slothful. I mean, we are called to be stewards of what God has given us, so we want to make sure that we are doing our part. But it does say that God will use these circumstances for your benefit or right. for, for your betterment. Not- and it's not. It's also not that we go to God as a cosmic vending machine, right? Right. I've got a friend, um, she lost her eye to cancer when she was a kid. And when she was in college, she wore a patch over her eye and she had someone come in and pray for her and actually prophesy over her that, that, um, her eye was going to be healed. And, um, my friend said, I, I have no eye, <laughs> like it's not there. Right. And it was just kind of that mentality, like, well, I'm going to pray for it and I'm going to expect God to answer outward with an outward providence of, you know, his miraculous healing. Well, could God do that? Absolutely. But, but the presumption, we, we just have to be careful, right? Don't right. be lazy and don't right. be presumptuous there. Um, but then at times God's answer is to answer us with delaying, right? So when we pray for something and we don't have an inward confirmation or comfort and we don't have an exterior um, answer of providence well manton goes even further and he says you know what sometimes here's what god's doing god's trying to exercise your faith are you only going to trust him if you have the warm tingly feeling right are you only going to believe him if he provides something physically when you when you pray for it sometimes god's trying to exercise our patience are, are you willing to endure? Are you willing to be patient? Are you willing to wait on the Lord? And he says, sometimes God does it because he wants to try our love. Are we going to continue to love him even if, even if life doesn't work out the way we want to? I mean, this is very counter 21st century Christian culture, right? Absolutely. Because it's so easy for us to say, well, if God loves us, why doesn't God answer my prayers the way I want them to. And the there's moment so much that to. could be said about that, but we don't have that much time on this particular episode. Yep. Um, a little bit more. Manson says, sometimes God just says, no, he denies our prayer requests, but that's an answer. It is. It you is. Know? Cause I mean, it's like if, if my son, he's, he's two, you know, but he has ways of, even though he doesn't speak English yet of communicating his desires. Right. And there are times he wants something that's just straight up, not good for him. He wants to play in the power outlet, but, but dad make him play in the power outlet. No, it's not good for him. Yeah. I, I tell dads once in a while, I said, sometimes one of the most important jobs a dad has is simply to say the word. No, exactly. Right. Say the word. No, help, help our kids learn the, the right boundaries. Um, and then the, the interesting thing, the, one other observation, Manton says that God answering us, sometimes the answer is just to lead us into the experience of prayer. And so the idea is when we have a need and we go to the Lord and we pray and we have that experience of prayer that trains us to not be flippant about prayer. Like, uh, we could pray at any time. Yeah. How often do we? Right. We, we've got the God of the universe that beckons us to come to him with all of our cares and all of our concerns. And it's so easy for us to say, yeah, but I'd rather go watch TV or I'd rather go do this or that. Right. Mm-hmm. Instead of recognizing how great of a gift prayer is. And then second, this, when we understand that, it makes us remember how great of a God that God is. That's right. We end up admiring God and all of his goodness and all of his character because we're going to him in prayer. And so this is that second clause. He says, he says, I, I have declared my ways to you. I've laid myself bare before the Lord. And then I've done that. You have answered me. And then the third, 
here's the prayer. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your statutes. Um, and so this, this is the idea of when I go to God, when I've laid myself before him, when I've recognized his faithfulness, you know what I want? I want more. I want more of God. Right. Um, and so when we have learned of God's mercy, we want more of his mercy. When we've gone to him with all of our junk and found forgiveness in him, that gives us even greater confidence to continue to go to him every time we mess up. And then when we found mercy in God, this means we should be careful to walk worthy of that mercy. Um, this actually fits in with last week's message, right? It does. From First uh, Thessalonians 2 verse 12, where it talks about how as a father, Paul says he exhorted, he encouraged, and he charged those people to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls them into his kingdom and glory. And so walking in a manner worthy of God is just saying, I want my life to match up with this God who says, come to me. Come and lay yourself bare in all of your guilt and shame. Come find forgiveness and pardon. Come, come find cleansing and comfort. I'm actually going to read uh, Manton's quote here. It says, the children of God should do so upon a double ground. Do, do what? Well, to walk in a manner worthy. Do so upon a double ground in point of prudence and thankfulness. In point of prudence, as they have smarted under their former folly, and in point of thankfulness, as they have tasted the Lord's grace in his answer. So this is this, uh, this double ground of walking in a manner worthy. First of all, walking in a manner worthy because you've, you've been forgiven. Right. You've received grace. And then the second point then is, is because of that, you're thankful. And you just want to live a life worthy that says, I just, I love my God because my God loves me. And it's that simple, right? And so when, when Paul or when, uh, I'm sorry, not Paul, when Edwards quotes Manton, who is quoting King David, and this line is, teach me your statutes. Here's what he's saying. I want to please you. I want to walk in your ways. I don't want anything in my life that, that strays one way or the other. I don't want to be caught up in anything else. I want to walk in your ways. Um, and so this is the resolution. Yeah. The resolution is I'm going to lay myself before God. I'm going to trust he's going to answer me. And then I'm going to beg him. I'm going to pray to him. I'm going to plead with him. Help me understand your ways so I can live in a way that pleases you. I said earlier that the uh, gears in my brain were turning. And if you just look back at those three stanzas again, I've declared my ways. You answered me. Teach me your statutes. This is a cycle because declaring my ways requires that I've, I've examined my condition, right? And so then I've declared my ways. You answered me with that forgiveness, with that cleansing, and with that assurance. Teach me your statutes so that I can grow in the knowledge of you, God. And that helps me to better understand my condition, which then I can declare my ways again. Mm -hmm. And it's I think we've just discussed that before of how discipleship and the knowledge of God continues to build upon itself. It, it yep. just keeps going and going and go. It's not like you read the Bible once and you're done. It's that you continually hear from God through his word, through the Holy spirit working in you. It's, you can tell I get excited talking about this, man. It's John fourteen twenty one, right? There you go. This is the one who loves me. The one who has my word and obeys it or keeps my word, right? He says, and I will love him and my father will love him and I will manifest myself to him. Jesus says, if you obey the word that I've given you, I will show you more of myself. Well, what's the more of himself? more of his word for you to obey, for you to walk in. And so the, the deeper you go in a love relationship with the father and the son, and the spirit, 
the more you know them, the more you know their word, the more you obey them, the more of himself that he shows you. And so the more you have to love and obey, right? You know, this um, calls to mind an image just from uh, science, actually, of all things. I was just thinking to myself, you know, God manifests some portion of his glory through the creation, right? And so if you go out and you are examining a beetle, right? You're, you're examining a beetle and you can understand a few things about it, but then you understand what makes up the anatomy of a beetle and that's, that's cells, right? And so let's, let's look at the anatomy of a cell and then, well, inside a cell you have what? Mitochondria. And so let's understand a mitochondria, right? And so the more you look at a thing, the more majestic and intricate and astonishing and complex it becomes. You can look at something on a surface value and just say, well, that's a beetle. But if you examine it, I mean, it, you see where I'm going with this. I do. It's the same thing. This is part of how God reveals his glory is that the more you examine God, the more you understand just how majestic, how complex, and just how marvelous he is. Yeah. And I just I think it's astonishing that he reveals himself in a surface level just through the world around us so that we are inspired to pursue the creator that made things that way. That's right. And you can go uh, – you can do that with a microscope. And you can do that with a telescope. That's right. Right. And all of that is, is, is his creation. And guess what? None of that compares to him and his glory. Right. That's exactly it, man. That's uh, and, and that's, and that's the God that invites us to come and run to him, to resolve, to have communion with him, to know him, to bring ourselves to him completely and all of our junk and all of our mess and all of our weakness and all of our worry and all of our sorrow to come and meet with him, to find his comfort. And to know him more and more. That is just astonishing, man. So that means, if I'm not mistaken, this concludes our series on the resolutions. It does. How do you feel? I haven't been here for this whole ride. It's been you and Andrew for the most part. I feel resolved. There you go. Oh. You know, what? what I, how I would answer that, maybe less about how I feel. I would say if, if, if our listener right now is considering these things. I just want you to see this is an invitation from the Lord to come know him. You know, you might be carrying around some weight and guilt. You might be feeling some shame like, oh, you know, I haven't been reading my Bible. I haven't been praying as much as I should. I mean, I hear that so regularly for folks. And guess what? Guess what? It's a brand new day. This is a brand new moment. Turn off the podcast. Fall to your knees. Run to him. Go to the Father and say, God, I want to know you. And I'm not good at it, and I mess up at it, but I want to know you. I want to be close to you. Draw me near. And and then just start to build that habit every day. That's what resolutions are. These resolutions to daily commune with God, to daily know God. That that would be my real encouragement to our listener. Exactly. No, well said. Well, I think uh, this is a good time for us to start kind of landing the plane. Um, we're about 40 minutes into this. Mike, do you have any final thoughts or words of encouragement before we say goodbye for this week? How about I pray? Let's do. Yeah. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for all the challenges that each of us are facing. I thank you for the challenges our listeners are facing because we know that each of those challenges, it causes us to hopefully run to you, to come to you and find your grace and mercy and your care. And God, I pray you would encourage our listeners. I pray that each of them would, today, they, they would do just that. They would go to you. They would declare their ways before you. They would know that you will answer them faithfully. And then, Lord, I pray that you will teach them your ways, your statutes, 
In that, Lord, I pray that we all have great joy and great hope. In that, Lord, I pray that we find our purpose to know you and to honor you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next time, everybody.